0: Welcome back to the On The Table Gaming Podcast. And once again, we're speaking with the game designer for Song of Ice and Fire, the Miniatures game, Michael Chenal, and the lead game developer, Fabio Curry, as we explore the Visions in the Flames 2021, where we'll be talking about updates to tactics cards and faction identity. We're on week four, and we get to talk about really kind of what I thought was maybe the genesis of all the excitement here, for me personally at least, is that you're talking about faction identity and and how you're changing the tactics cards. Why is this such a big deal for those maybe who are new to the game or or are just tuning in? Why is addressing the the tactics cards like such a, a game changer for a song of Ice and Fire? Well, I'd say
1: first of all the tactics cards haven't changed at all uh, so far because of just the way that the physical component works. So this is the first time they had the opportunity to be reworked. And secondly, what makes uh, the faction deck so important is that they're tied to your faction. So if you do pick a faction, you're always going to use this deck. It is known what's in there. It is known... uh, pun intended in this case i guess
0: (laughs) i can hear michael's eye roll (laughs) and uh this is really what the listeners came for fabio keep going (laughs) forget the vision in the flames keep the pun you guys are on your own i'm out
1: (laughs) but yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry i lost totally my thought Uh, But yeah, going back to the tactics cards, they're um, intertwined with the identity of each faction um, because units uh, play around cards. Um, Whenever you make a unit, you have to consider how they interact with each and every card in the faction. And obviously commanders have a lot to do with that, but that's a choice. And your basic faction cards are not a choice. There's something you're uh, sort of stuck to. And they should be one of the core reasons uh, that players choose a faction because their identity is, inter- uh, is stuck with these cards.
0: How long ago were some of these tactics cards made? I, I, there's been some numbers thrown out, like, you know, things uh, the game's been out for three years, but the game was, it started being developed. If I remember from our earlier conversations, uh, like up to five years ago, some of the
2: factions, had, how long have they had their, like, conception of their tactics cards? I mean, so when a faction is first made like from its core identity, you have to decide what is this faction going to do? What play style is it going to really push players toward? And that usually starts with the tactics deck um, because that is such a identifying and integral factor about how a faction plays. Because you can have the same unit that could be across an entirely different faction. But the way it interacts with not only a combination of like NCUs and attachments, but specifically tactics cards can change how that unit actually functions with. Like, if we look at just the two initial factions that were released, the Starks and Lannisters, you can just look at their tactics cards and nothing else. You can, you know, ignore all their units, all their attachments, not even know a single thing about any of the fluff or backstory. But if you read their tactics decks, that should tell you, oh, these are the clear themes to how this faction operates. And you can see that they're different. So honestly, out of all the game mechanics, if you look at a faction's tactics deck, that is the single biggest like, kind of indicator about what a faction is capable of and should give you clearest insight into its strengths and weaknesses. That's oversimplifying things, yes, but I still think that is the, one of the strongest indicators. And so I think as we talk through these, these changes that you're previewing for the Tactus cards, um, it
0: really kind of helps us get maybe a, a vision from what you've chosen here, at least, to show of what you guys maybe see as the factions' identities and maybe gives us insight into where those factions are headed in 2021. Um, before we get into that, though, into the kind of specifics, um, in your article, you talked a bit about timing windows, but then you also spent some time talking about like free actions and, and bonuses. Could you maybe speak to what you're trying to get at with these changes to the cards and, and how those fit in? A lot of cards before, they just gave you a, a straight out
1: free action or or something of similar. And basically... That was not playing smart or tactically, that was just gaining a free buff. And we saw that not only players, but also playtesters, when they were playing, they were usually trying to fish out power cards and the rest of the deck remained underutilized. We believe that changing these cards and making all of them functional in, in their own right, and also removing some of these powerhouse cards um, was better for the game. So um when you have decks that were granting a lot of free actions that kind of forced us to add free actions into future decks as well for future factions mm. to keep the the power level consistent and then what ended up happening is that we had a lot of just extra actions going around that amounted to more than what we wanted or expected from the game so when both sides are obtaining a lot of free actions uh no matter what type they are, it starts to become an issue because that's not how the units were designed to perform.
2: Well, so Chase, you kind of hit on three different topics here. Is one, you talked about wording consolidation, which we can, that's its own topic. But to talk about the one specifically here about when it comes to uh, free actions, economy of actions, that type of aspect of tactics cards. Tactics cards, by their design, are meant to... Um, emphasize different tactics, and accentuate different play styles, they shouldn't be the main motivator to your battle strategy or to how you're playing the game. That should be a combination of different elements. You know, how, what units you've chosen to bring to the battlefield, what attachments you put on them, what NCUs you have. A single tactics card should not be able to influence a major decision in your game uh, to the point where you're building an entire battle strategy around it. And usually those would fall into the lines of things like free actions. An example right. being like Sudden Charge, for example, or uh, Swift Advance. Those were two of them notably like powerhouse cards because they grant you a straight up free action. Now, something to clarify here is not the absolute removal of things that give you free benefits because those still exist. Like, OK, a lot of tactics cards triggers are you're making an attack here, have a buff or you know, you're going to do a move action here, have a slight buff to that, you know. These are things that should be accentuating the actions that you were doing and bolstering them in some way or in some cases hindering your opponent doing those actions, but just straight up giving you benefits for doing so. Like, here, have a free attack. Here, have a free movement. Those things have been toned down and tempered a bit. Now, they still exist in some capacity, but they're usually going to have some kind of drawback or some kind of specific timing window, or they're going to be limited to a very specific commander and their play style. Like you can, so those things can all still exist. It's not like anything has been hard removed from the game. Uh, it's more so just limiting the, either their accessibility and kind of reevaluating you know where they sit on the power level. So like you can have a tactics card that is like, um, well let's take an example um, assault orders. that allows you to when an NCU claims a zone, replace the zone effect with a free attack or under specific circumstances turned into a charge action a charge action being arguably the most powerful action that you can take in the game. Well, that card right there is a very strong card, and you can argue that, like, well, there's not really a cost associated because you're just having to give up an NCU activation, and they were going to claim a zone anyway. And while that's true, that's still at least some type of planning and cost that's built into it. It's not just a free attack. But Hmm. more so than that, um, it is also built into, like, that card is either going to be available to a very specific commander, so that's a choice that you have had to take, and an opportunity cost because you took that commander versus others, or if an effect like that is in the generic tactics deck, then it's built around like you know the other variables that go into that. So it's very hard to look at any individual card in a vacuum and go like, oh, well, you know, this is you know, this is this situation, this is another situation. You have to take everything as a whole, but in general, the point of us reevaluating tactics cards was to. Uh, limit them in some of their power to basically make it so it was more of a choice when to play them like you didn 't just want to necessarily play them at the very first opportunity you could or pitch them two streamline warning and effects to kind of generalize triggers and um smooth gameplay in that regard, and three um, really use them to further reinforce faction identity, and that 's another thing we kind of talked about in this article and i 'm sure we can when we look at the individual cards and talk about them we can deep dive but I guess I said initially, your tactics cards really define what your faction does and what it is capable of more than almost any other aspect. And we really wanted to make that evident in the existing effects and with the tactics decks so that I can pick up the Lannister deck and I can go, oh, this is and read through it and go like, this is what these guys do. This is why they're cool. I can pick up the Stark deck and go like, this is very clearly different from the Lannister deck I looked at and this is how these guys function. So as we dive into some of these tactics cards then
0: that you guys have revealed and, and it, could we maybe also address on like how you guys uh, see faction identity being, and I know there's like a pretty good idea in the community already, but I can't help but think back to, for example, and you've mentioned this too in the past, but uh, when the Night's watch first came out, you know, the example being that was like, you know, the, the starter set came out and people picked the starter set and they played with Jon Snow and he had kind of a, a recursion healing element and People were like, oh, that's what, you know, Night's are all about veterans and healing and and those elements. Um, and then as the, the faction kind of came out more and we saw more units, it, it, it actually was something else. And we, we were only looking at this like one small little piece and we didn't really see the big picture. And so maybe as we go through these tactics cards, do you think maybe you could speak to like how you guys see the the factions identity being for each house and and maybe how those tactics cards like play to that? Yeah, that seems great. Awesome. Oh man. Okay. Let's start off with uh with House Lannister here. So we've got Subjugation of Power, which is a card that you said is gonna replace Wealth of the Rock in the tactics deck that we currently have, which I find kind of surprising as it kind of struck me more as possibly being closer to somewhat like Paid Mutiny. Before we talk about this card, can we just kind of clarify something? there was that like that magic 80-20 number that was talked about originally, and now we have a better understanding of it. Is there some sort of like golden ratio for how tactics cards are gonna look? Like is every tactics card getting looked at or is like each fa- each tactics deck getting like one card being replaced? There's so, no like specific
2: algorithm there. But I mean, okay. I will say that like, like we've been saying, every single element of the game has been looked at. Tactics cards, every single one of them got a rewording just to fit with the current like wording format that we have. And I will say probably more than any other elements of the game, those received the most like tweaking because they were really out of all the things we've talked about that we have wanted to like kind of modify and change. They were probably the biggest offenders to where, you know, they gave free actions, they gave bonus attack dice, they gave all these things that we talked about that we wanted to remove. Those were tended to be centralized in tactics cards. Oh, man. okay.
0: so the hype, here we go. All right. So then the subjugation of power. So basically, the way I'm understanding this, when an enemy combat unit activates. Uh, they perform a, a morale test for each zone you control among the crown and wealth zone. So, and for each of those zones you control, they get a negative two to their role. So, you know, maybe a negative two to a negative four. And if they fail that morale test until the end of their turn, they can't be targeted by friendly tactics cards and they lose all abilities. So it's kind of a way to to counter and nullify sort of a unit's strengths and and kind of leave them there in the open. How does this capture the Lannister identity? and And how do you see that Lannister identity being, you know,
2: really shown as an exemplar here so this card was specifically uh, chosen to be shown for a few reasons uh one was let's go back to the themes like we were talking about about faction identity and uh, and themes okay so we had previously talked about the limitation and removal of hard control uh, outside of certain specific elements this one here uh chose to show specifically to show that control is an element of lannisters you know People have been talking like, oh, it's been completely removed from the game and all these effects are being cut out. And we're limiting those effects in various areas. Lannisters is not one of them. Lannisters are the control faction. This is what they do. And this card kind of um, embodies that. This also shows that, you know, by if you let them control the zones that they want, they're going to give you further negatives. This is going to be one of the more powerful effects they have just to shut things off. But even then, it's based around morale tests. Which, again, is another key focal point of Lannisters, is they're going to mess up your morale. They're not going to do the most combat damage. They're not going to have the most maneuverability across the board. But they're going to really mess up you in all these disruptive ways when they start targeting your morale. But so subjugation of power really represents that uh, from that standpoint. And it also, again, we chose to showcase this one to... You know, show people that, yes, control elements are still in the game. Just again, we have focused them where we want them to be instead of just being spread across, you know, um, as options for everyone. And this is in their base deck, right? So, I mean, like that's not even a factoring in commanders. So they're going to
0: always have a, a nice way to to really mess with your units. Um, so
1: on top of that, uh, I'd also like to say that when we're thinking factions, we always think of what tactic zones fit them best And not necessarily all factions are going to have two tactic zones that they're always going to rely on or anything like that. But in case of the Lannisters, it's been clear since day one that they like the crown and the the wealth zone. This also shows that the more you let the Lannisters fulfill their agenda, the more powerful they will become. And and, and so an opponent that knows the Lannister deck, he can um, sort of, Foresee these things and and play around them. So what's really really interesting about subjugation of power is that it really does more in in the long run of, of things. But you'll see that there's still uh, the Lannister player still has to earn it. He has to claim zones to improve the morale test, or he can just use it out out the bat. But that means it will be probably less effective or ineffective against. Um, good morale units which usually come at a higher point cost so he can work around it he can still use it against good morale units but he'll have to earn it
0: yeah that's really cool and then it also provides a counterplay and you know if it's like oh they're really going for these zones i, I better watch out because my you know followers of uh, my my bone chosen or something are maybe about to get you know hurt we got some lannister love here what about the community fan favorites house stark i think a lot of players jump into the game they get that starter set starks lannisters and the starks they got their cool direwolves they're a huge fan and show favorites um showcasing winter's might here so how does winter's might embody the core identity of house star so uh, the starks are um
1: interested in aggression they they do step on that side of of who gets what <laughs> let's say In this case, uh, this card helps to embody the Starks' identity because it's a gamble, right? So um, you'll suffer damage, but you'll gain attack buffs, right? It also depends on a zone, and the Starks do like the swords a lot. (laughs) So you will get bonuses if you are controlling the swords. So it is good for you to claim the swords and use this card, for example. And once again, just as in the Lannisters, we showed that although we did remove some elements of control and we focused them, I think this card also can serve an exa- as an example for attack buffs. This card gives you Sundering and rerolls, which should be relatively rare nowadays, but it has a drawback. And once again, it's um, tied to the Starks, so... Th- um, not everyone will have access to this sort of raw damage output.
0: And it kind of plays into that that theme of them taking damage to do their damage, right? Exactly. So, And you see that they suffer less wounds for
1: each destroyed rank, so they suffer less damage uh, the weaker the unit gets. Once again, this is going into the playing off ranks that we really wanted to
0: emphasize throughout the game. And I see here you also have a lot of interplay with things you were talking before about how important ranks were in the game. Uh, So is this kind of an example of how we might see your new emphasis on or might see your re-emphasis on ranks? Yeah, that's a great example of how we're playing off of
1: ranks in general. We, um, like we said before, this is something we do when applicable. And this is very in line with the Starks, where when they're in their last, they're not supposed to suffer penalties um, through their nice buffs. So I think, yeah, this fits very well with what we intended. And other examples might show up, but this one really can helps embody what we meant with playing off of ranks.
0: And then, of course, uh, we have the Baratheons with their sustained assault. So what do you guys see, you know, the, the Baratheon core identity might be might pretty much like get hit, hit back. Um, how, how do you guys see the identity and, and how does this kind of embody that?
2: So Baratheons are, you know, your retribution slash grind faction. Uh, by that being, you know, they want to get stuck in combats. Longer those combats go, the more it's going to favor them. They're not an Alpha Strike faction. They're not going to you know, be the first ones in the combat, but they're the ones who are going to benefit from those prolonged engagements. And Sustained Assault is kind of the one that highlights that the most. Whereas most factions are going to start losing efficiency, losing momentum, losing attack dice, you know, as the combat goes on. Baratheons are an exception to that as, you know, when they get stuck into a fight, that's exactly what they, where they want to be. And so their deck embodies tools that give them options for when they're in those situations and then also how to capitalize on them. So sustained assault here, uh, you know, it's a very kind of basic effect. You know, if you begin your turn engaged, you get your highest attack die value. And if the defender has more remaining ranks, aka, you know, they're ahead of you, then they also become vulnerable. So in this situation here, this card basically says, I don't necessarily need to get my charge off. You know, it's beneficial if I charge you. But if you manage to charge me, which I'm playing a kind of slower faction, it's probably going to happen. I'm still going to be in an okay situation because I have a tool that allows me to hit you back just as hard, if not harder, than if I had charged. So this is essentially kind of reinforcing the playstyle style uh, of the Baratheons and the fact that, you know, they're not an Alpha Strike army. They're a reactive army that's going to punish you for trying to hurt them. And so this kind of embodies that. Absolutely. Man, yeah. It really gives <laughs> with those Alpha Strikes. Jeez. OK. <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, free folk and coordinated tactics, huh? Hmm. This is an interesting card. So, target two friendly units in short range of each other. Until the end of the turn, both units gain any abilities on the other unit. You may immediately trigger one unused start of turn order on either of those units. Well, we haven't seen anything like this ever before. Let's talk about this. Uh, You know, how does this in line with the Free Folk Faction Identity? I mean, I'm assuming it's because Free Folk Faction Identity is just awesome. Uh, and this card is awesome. But, you know, how is this in line with what you see the Free Folk being? <laughs> and, and really, what was your thoughts behind this, man? Oh, he's just so excited, oh. isn't he, Fabio? <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, people at home are rolling their eyes. But, oh my gosh, like, this is a crazy card. So this is tricky because
1: um, the Free Folk's identity was supposed to be a Horde uh, faction. But uh, when we say Horde faction, we're kind of used to... Um, this idea of having at least four or five times the amount of the model count of your opponent and that's not really how free folk work in a song of ice and fire and how we intend hordes to work so um it it's really uh, basically the, the free folk units suffered a couple of modifications that make this card even more interesting and it's once again, hard to talk about without mentioning the units in general. but oh. um, But free folk <laughs> units are supposed to be individually not that good. <laughs> yeah, let's put it that way. But once combined, they're, they're supposed to um, be, have a sum greater than their individual units. So once again, this card is kind of supposed to push that agenda. And yeah. it really is supposed to incentivize the diversity in unit choice with Free Folk. And that's what we really want. We want uh, Free Folk players to try to build more diverse and toolbox lists in general. And I do believe that that was uh, already kind of the design they had before, where you had these units that performed a, a wide array of very different and zany uh, abilities but now this will be a little bit more consistent in your list building, but I, I won't really touch that subject too much. And coordination tactics is supposed to, uh, once again, make your, your, let's say, overall lists instead of very specialized lists be more efficient. Also, um, there's on the third paragraph, you may immediately trigger one use start of turn order. This is um, to help with uh, trigger conflicts, so you're not uh, ah. disencouraged to to use this card, right? You should be able to use this card, and then if a unit has an order, you can use the order on, on the unit where you intended.
0: Man, this one really has my, my imagination going here. Also, uh, you know, Fabio, maybe a missed opportunity to pitch this to Michael that this could have been called "teamwork makes the dream work." Hmm. <laughs> don't don't think that I've tried. Hey, I tried. How, do I, uh,
2: how do I mute someone on
0: Discord? And oh, no. I, he's gone again. <laughs> all right, come back, come back. We have uh, we have some stuff that I know is right up your alley, Michael. So we've got neutrals, okay? Those dastardly neutrals. So I think out of all the factions, uh, I think neutral players maybe have have uh, been maybe the most apprehensive about the upcoming changes. But you've been rolling things out that seem to be really setting them up for success. So, what's been your approach with with uh, tactics cards with neutrals? And we have this really cool like double double uh, effect tactics card here with meticulous planning.
2: What drives a man neutral? So, yeah, uh, as we've talked about very briefly before uh, previously, the neutrals are getting a focus on. The individual commanders and how they function with the units that they give affiliation and other keywords to. So, uh, Ramsey and Roose Bolton with Bolton units, um, Vargo Hote with, uh, Bloody Mummers and so forth. Uh, this is an example here of how that kind of plays out with the neutral deck. Because as you see here, you have a fairly generic effect, but it plays off of your commander specifically. allows you to search your tactics deck for a commander tactics card and add it to your hand. And those commander tactics cards are really what's going to give your army individual flavor, um, more so in neutrals than almost any other uh, army. Because like, okay, you, you know, you play Gregor versus High Sparrow in a Lannister army. That's going to change up the flavor. But you're still playing Lannisters. There's still some key fundamentals that remain the same with neutrals. It really becomes a different mindset and a different playstyle depending on what kind of sub army you're going with. So if you're running full neutrals uh, as you know a bunch of House Bolton guys, uh, those that army led by Roos is going to function drastically different than one led by you know Vargo Hoat. And that's assuming that like even if you were running like Vargo Hoat leading a bunch of you know, uh, Bolton blackguards for whatever reason, that's still going to function very different than one led by Ramsay or Roos Bolton. Now, obviously, there's going to be much more synergies there to incentivize you to take those units. But like every single one of their tactics cards plays off of their uh, house keywords or not necessarily house because like bloody mummers aren't a house. But you get the intent of what I'm saying, you know, that plays off their specialty uh, in a very specific way. So a lot of the neutral cards are based around fishing those cards and then also commander buffs because they are the rock star of your army. You know, so a lot of their cards really focus on that unit, that specific benefit and the things that they are going to convey to the rest of your army. Is this going to become a more common design in general that we see in tactics cards? Uh, So the double formatting here is fairly rare when you look at like the long run. It does uh, show up in a few places and some cards were just formatted in that way just for ease because uh, this one is showing two very distinct triggers. But we have other ones that, you know, are kind of a double trigger format, but that's really just done for a kind of a cleanup reason and more of an ease of just uh, play rather than it is like, oh, these are two distinct effects. So while this formatting does show up a number of times, sometimes it's just done to kind of streamline things rather than just having, oh, this card clearly has two different effects.
0: And then we have for Night's Watch, uh, the light that brings the dawn. And uh, you did mention in the article uh, that there still are vows. Uh, This is not a vow. First off, I guess like, how does this represent what you guys see as the Night's Watch identity? And then like, are vows going to be different? Or you know, where do vows fit into all this?
2: Well, well so just to, just to clarify there, Chase, uh, we said that vows are still there mechanically. And this is, this is a vow effect without actually using like the vow keyword or anything like that. This is just, we didn't really see a need to give a specific keyword for an effect that already exists in the game. Because attaching tactics cards to units was already a mechanic that existed and exists elsewhere. So the fact that Night's Watch literally had the exact same effect, but we just gave it a special name, there really wasn't a mechanical need for that. You mean you didn't want to have like a giant paragraph of text on every card saying, Vow, if this card
0: tar- gets a... Well, essentially, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair enough. That makes sense. I guess that, that really does make sense. Also,
1: Night's Watch were like maybe uh, they were the third, actually fourth faction released. So They were the third. Um, they were the third. No, it's because I was counting neutrals. Basically, when, when Night's Watch was released, attaching tactics cards w- was pro- maybe there, I'm not really sure, but it was still kind of something new. So we thought that clarifying with the Vow keyword would make more sense. Um, now, with the amount of attaching tactics cards effects that have come into the game, and even in this, um, this tactics card overhaul that we're doing, um, it, it kind of felt unnecessary to, to keep the keyword alive. Also something very interesting in Night's Watch in general is that when we spoke about um, factions and tactic zones that they prefer, the Night's Watch were kind of in a, in a pickle where they needed, they didn't need it, but um, they were uh, benefited if they controlled more tactic zones. Mm-hmm. And that pushed them into a heavily tactic zone control kind of situation. And we removed most, if not all, of the tactic zones requirements for the Vows and the, basics, the base tactics deck to give a little bit more flexibility when list building for Squatch players. And I believe that was a plus because if you kind of have to take all tactic zones into consideration, then you're not really taking any into consideration. It's kind of one of those like math dilemmas. So by removing all of them, you still have to be careful with all the tactic zones, just in a different way. And we left the tactic zones mainly for commanders and Night's
2: Watch. And another element here that definitely should not be overlooked uh, is that this effect, you know, while we said that it was similar to the vow mechanic, there is a very important difference here. There is no limitation here to the amount of uh, these cards that can be attached to a single unit. So, while you still have the overarching rules of like the same effect as in stack, so like if I stick to the light that brings the dawn on a unit, nothing happens. They just have that effect. They can have multiples of these vow style cards attached. So, you know, as the game goes on, you might have a lower unit count because they are still a very elite army. But as they start doing cool heroics throughout the game, that unit is going to start getting more stacking benefits that are just going to keep building on it. Man, that's going to be crazy. So, they're going to be. They can be pretty beastly. Yeah. So like the whole thing about playing against Night's Watch is that if they have a unit that just starts turning into like a Superman and starts doing all these cool triggers to gain all these cool effects, that's going to be a problem. So you need to deal with them. And if you don't, that unit is allowed to just like, oh, look, they're going to do, you know, they're going to make a melee attack here. So I get the light that brings the dawn. Oh, look, they're going to pass a morale test. They're going to get another buff stacked onto them. As the game goes on, you can have this unit that always all of a sudden Uh Oh, these guys are a big problem. And that's pushing more into the elite nature of Night's Watch that like it's going to really benefit them to have a unit and really keep that unit around. Because the more that unit accomplishes in the game, the stronger and deadlier it's going to be. So it could be a situation where like, oh, I'm outnumbered two to one and, you know, we're on round five or something. But I've got my super unit here that's been fighting like tooth and nail the entire game. And, you know, it has been reciting vow after vow after vow. And now it is just this juggernaut on the battlefield that you have to deal with because you have allowed it to get to that point. That's terrifying. Night's
0: nice Watch players out there, I'll take a note here. This, the future looks really cool cool for them. And then the last tactics card we have here is the Targaryen one. And it's a swift reposition. And this looks very familiar to, at least wording-wise, tactics cards we maybe have already have in kind of a, a swift retreat. At the start of any turn, target one friendly combat unit, it shifts two inches. If you control the maneuver zone, that unit performs a three inch maneuver action instead. So really kind of interesting to see this unit. Does this tie in at all with like your free actions talk you were, you were explaining before? Uh,
1: yeah, for sure. This um, totally ties in with our free actions. So we do believe that um, allowing people to move a little bit more than expected is part of the game and um, it is a calculated surprise in a way. Like your opponent knows that you can and you might, but not necessarily because it's hidden information. So it is very interesting. And you said Swift Retreat, but uh, I would say Swift Advance. Swift Advance. That's what I meant. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, Swift Advance. (laughs) No, don't worry. Uh, It's... um, Once again, I I just believe that this is a good direction to the way free actions are given now, where um, they might still exist, but they're definitely toned down. Um, Also, people might look at this card and think it's a little underwhelming, but it's still one of the favorites in playtest. People (laughs) usually are caught by surprise, which is the point. So it's a very interesting card, and... It, it has a lot of value and, from a design and development standpoint,
2: so it will be pretty prevalent throughout. So as we mentioned in the article, Targaryens, you know, have a focus on kind of the maneuverability across the battlefield. But the more exciting thing to me is really when it comes to the design of the Targaryens. I mean, they all of these factions could feature an article onto themselves, but Targaryens almost more than the others. Because... Targaryens, from their initial design, were kind of this hodgepodge of different units that have individual strengths, but not a lot of synergies between them. And that's really cool from an individual unit perspective, but it also makes things a little hard when you're just kind of combining these things into a force because you're being pulled in all these different directions without a a clear synergy between them. So while you have individually powerful stuff, if it doesn't really work together, then that can create some problems because you're going to have wasted resources uh, in some capacity. With the Targaryens, we actually decided to just take a different faction approach for them and almost like a little bit with the neutrals, really push a focus on the commanders that you choose. And the Targaryens have a unique aspect to them versus any other army that uh, when you pick a Targaryen commander, they actually will replace uh, a they have a fourth tactics card unique to them that replaces a baseline tactics card in the deck. To further represent the unique nature of all the characters in, uh, you know, the Targaryen faction as a whole, because uh, again, going back to the Lannister example, Tyrion Lannister, Tywin Lannister, these are all characters that you know while they have unique personalities, you can tell that they're all still Lannisters. Um, Ned Stark, uh, Rob Stark, uh, Roderick Casel. You know, these are all different characters within Starks, but they all kind of have the same mentality because they're from the same region. They have the the same training, the same, you know, moral mindset and all that. But when it comes to Targaryens, these are literally different elements pulled from across different cultures, from across different uh, points in the world. Barristan Selmy is not going to view the world or his tactics the same way as, you know, um, like, say, Grey Worm is going to, because, you know, one was raised, you know, a slave in the Unsullied. One is a honorable knight that is from the old guard. You know, they play, they they function entirely differently. So we really wanted to incorporate that into their commander cards. And so, again, more than any other faction uh, outside of potentially neutrals, these guys define their army playstyle by their commander man that is so cool to be adding in there like that so that also opens up a lot of
0: design space for you to kind of do some more fun things with the game then you're like being able to modify tactics
2: cards even further i mean you saw this previously with uh uh with davos seaworth yeah you know he, that was, awesome. he <laughs> was he yeah he, he was the the anti-baratheon you know right uh as fabio has said many times uh he is the guy in the Baratheon faction that doesn't play like the other Baratheons. <laughs> yeah, everyone's
0: like, what are you doing, man? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm a smuggler. Yeah, and
1: I think that really fits the Targaryens where um, although they're all loyal to Danny, they might not necessarily be loyal to themselves. And it they each have their own political agenda which they want to pursue. And that's represented by this fourth tactics card that comes with each commander. Apart from that, I'd also say that it's, it's really interesting because it uh, uh, by doing this, it's the same as if you had a jar of marbles and you th- kind of feel like they don't fit. But if you shake it a little bit, they adjust and, and fill the gaps. <laughs> I, I I think that works as an analogy. So this fourth card let us really remove the cards um, that we didn't like, that were creating these uh, two powerful combos or synergies with each specific commander. Like... Um, Oh, Drogo is great, but him alongside card X is a little bit too powerful. Well, that's the card we're going to remove from the deck or and in in replacement with the special agenda card.
0: Was it fun being able to have this like new option now by going back and looking at the tactics cards and being like, we can move these around and suddenly be able to be like, you know what we can do now is like just way more stuff. Yeah, that was great. It,
1: it gave us a lot of, not just broom, but new ideas because you start looking at stuff that was designed five years ago. And although it still works, um, the game is very modern, I'd say, and and it has to keep up with with the pacing
0: and, and the way the game is played that players are kind of dictating at this point. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us through these tactics cards and, and giving us some insight into how you guys see the faction identities. Uh, it's been really great getting to talk to you about these. And uh, we're really excited to see what you've got in the works for the future. Uh, it's just really great that you guys have been uh, working so hard to make this game awesome for the community. Um, I think you're probably aware you've got a lot of big fans out there. We love your game, and it's just great to be able to partake in it and that you guys are keeping on innovating and and growing it in ways in kind of like an exponentially amazing way. I mean, I love the game from the, when I first played it after I got my Kickstarter set, but even now it's grown. It still has all the great things that I love, and it just keeps expanding with these cool new variations and elements. And I think people seeing the Tactus cards have been really excited for each faction. I think especially with this idea about the Targaryens having those commanders adding more elements, that's going to be even more invigorating for a lot of players. And uh, it's just cool to see where things are going and that you guys keep managing to pack so much so much fun, the things to be excited about in this game. So just thank you guys so much. Thank you, Chase. It's always a pleasure. And
1: we're always lurking in the community. And <laughs>
0: Can I ask at this point with these visions coming up before we wrap things up here, uh, with the articles that have come out so far, was there one that you guys were like most excited for people to see? I'd say the, the combat math and balancing one
1: was really important because... It addresses a lot of issues that players were concerned about. And um, honestly, I think that was my favorite one.
2: I think for myself, uh, my favorite one was, again, the one where you went over combat math and everything. Even though there wasn't really as much math in there in the end as I wanted. But I think the one that's going to have the biggest kind of uh, impact and uh, kind of, you know, uh, throw that big rock in the water and create some waves is going to be this one. So I'm excited to see what happens as a result of this post. I think when I found out that
0: tactics cards are being changed, that just, you know, that opens up everything. And so I'm really excited to see it. And you only showed one one tactics card each you teases, but I am intrigued. Coordinated tactics for free folks, that's just mind boggling. The the ideas with the Targaryens is so cool. The vows, the Lannister, you know, overall theme. And then the same thing with the, the uh, House Stark keeping their elements. And then the Baratheons kind of staying true to their form. Um, That's awesome. So I'm really excited to see what's coming in the future. We'll keep trying to look into these flames. And and I appreciate you guys coming on here and talking with us and everybody else. In the meantime, I hope you get your miniatures on the table.